Coming up next on Daily in Christ, more of what God can do through faith. Hi, I'm Mark Van Oos, and I'm glad to welcome you again to another episode in the Daily in Christ podcast. This is a time of digging into God's Word with a real purpose. Jesus said in John 5, 39 and 40, he was speaking to the scribes, Pharisees, and teachers of the law, those who really dug into the scriptures. He said, you diligently search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but these are they which testify about me. That's the key. We dig into the word of God because the word testifies of Jesus. Now, their problem was, this is the second part, Jesus said, but you refuse to come to me to have life. That's everything altogether. Jesus is the object of our faith. Jesus is the one that we engage in personally. The scripture articulates a person, guides our faith in Jesus. We are so glad to have you tuned in and so glad to have you uh, getting this podcast week by week. We are continuing our journey through the book of Hebrews, Would You Believe, part 35, and we're in Hebrews chapter 11. We've been there for a while, really deliberately taking our time on the subject of faith, and the just shall live by faith. We're in part five of the sub-series within the Hebrews series called The Just Shall Live by Faith, and last time we took some time to talk about what faith accomplishes. I quickly went through all of Hebrews chapter 11 and had distilled out all of the things that we see that God actually was accomplishing through faith. It's important to see this. It's important to understand that the key is not faith. The key is God himself. Our faith is in him. Our faith is in his ability. Our faith in his, is in his willingness through his grace. Last time we talked about by faith, we embrace the revelation that God created all by the word of his mouth. Faith says God said it and that settles it for me. And then we looked in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse four, the uh, case of Cain and Abel, and we saw that Abel's sacrifice, his offering, was a righteous one because it was one by faith. Meanwhile, Cain's was not one by faith. Abel's was an offering of righteousness of faith. It wasn't an offering of his own righteousness. He was looking to God as his source of righteousness, and that pleased God. Meantime, Cain's offering was one of self-righteousness. That's the key difference. Faith looks to the righteousness of God. That's the same kind of faith that Abel had. And then we looked at Hebrews 11, 5 through 6 and Enoch. We found that Enoch pleased God. He walked with God and then he was not. And then we see in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And it gives a really good reason. It says for. Whenever you see the word for in a second clause, it gives the because of the prior clause. For he who comes to God. There it is. We were talking about that at the top of this uh, particular podcast. 
for those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's Hebrews 11.6. Well, today we're going to move forward into Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, and to the person of Noah. Remember the times that Noah lived in. They were terrible times. Let's take a moment right now and go to uh, Genesis. And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 6 in verse 5. And these are the conditions that Noah was living in. Imagine living in a day in which these kinds of conditions exist. Now, today's day, obviously, there is a lot of wickedness and ungodliness, but nothing even compared to the days of Noah. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let me say that verse 8, but Noah found grace in in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't that Noah was so wonderful and so spectacular, but Noah, and we'll find out what was going on with Noah and his attitude of faith. He was living a life by faith, trusting in God and God's righteousness. And so he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now just take a moment and imagine the days of Noah. Imagine that Mankind is so bad and so wicked that the only solution is destruction. Now, there will come a time in the future, and the book of the Revelation talks about this, where there will be a final judgment of God, a final dealing with evil once for all. And Jesus even speaks of that day in the future Uh, in the same manner as in the days of Noah. What was going on? Wickedness. On every point, every time you looked, every time you heard a conversation, all you heard was wickedness. All the thoughts of man was evil, only evil continually. And God is grieved. And so God takes action. And God sees this godly man Noah. Now, what was so great about Noah? Well, the Bible is not about great men. The Bible is about a great God. And although Noah showed great faith, the point isn't Noah's great faith and living by faith. We need to look at what Noah, who Noah was looking to. That's the key. So over here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says this, by faith, Noah There it is again, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Now imagine that. It's a wicked time. Noah is a godly man. 
He's a man who lives his life by faith, and I'm sure he wasn't a very popular man. Noah and his family probably seemed like the oddballs in the town. And then, the next thing you know, Noah is building a massive boat. Now, it's interesting that it says this, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. The earth had not faced a flood, certainly not of the scale that came in this flood, the great flood at the time of Noah. And we've never seen anything since. The Lord has promised that he wouldn't so flood the earth. But his actions in the construction of the ark, which took an enormous amount of time, it was decades of construction. And I'm sure that people made fun of him, heckled him, jeered him. What are you doing, Noah? Don't tell me you're building this big thing. What's it for? And then it probably looked really ridiculous when animals started showing up, going into the ark two by two. But Noah, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, was divinely warned. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Someone being warned is actually an action of the mercy of God because no one deserves to be spared. That's what the Bible teaches. Sin had so taken over the human race, as I had mentioned, that the just judgment of God was warranted. And yet we go again to the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody, not even Noah and his family, deserves anything but the wrath of God. Even Noah had failed. But what was the difference? Well, in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, it says, being justified by his grace. That's a right standing with God. In fact, being given the same standing before God the Father that the Lord Jesus Christ has. And it's not because we're so good. It's because God is that good. Grace is God totally loving you, totally blessing you, totally accepting you, not because you're so good, but because he is that good. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24 says, Being justified by God's grace. And then in verse 25, it says, Through faith. Through faith in Christ. That is the key to Noah's godliness. That is the key behind Abel's righteous offering. It is looking to God and his righteousness and trusting in the grace of God by faith. And as it says quite plainly in Genesis chapter 6, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to think for a moment about these ancients, people like Abel or Noah, and we'll get into Abraham shortly. They had no Bible. There was no scripture, no churches, no synagogues, no Christian radio, no TV, no internet, but they had God 
simple relationship and faith in God. And that made all the difference in the world. And you see, that's what we have or who we have. We have God. We have the scripture, thank God. And that scripture informs our faith in God. Remember what we learned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him for the reason. He who comes to God. These ancients did that. They came to God, not on the basis of their own righteousness, but on the basis of the righteousness of God, on the basis of the grace of God. And that is what ignited their faith and their holy living. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Remember what I said last time. God is the great I am. All that we could possibly need. Jehovah Sidkenu, righteousness. Jehovah Mekedesh, holiness. Jehovah Shalom, peace, and so forth. Must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I can guarantee you that Noah, like um, like uh, Abel, like Enoch, sought God. Their attention was directed towards seeking him. And they knew somehow, some way that God was a blessing God. God was the one who is righteous. God wasn't looking at their righteousness. God was was looking to the one who trusted in God's righteousness. And so Noah is divinely warned. He's divinely warned of things not yet seen. And this is a repeating theme in Hebrews chapter 11. Remember what it says up there in verse 1. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. And it's the same for us. Many times in our walk of faith, we can't see. But we need to trust. We need to trust God. We need to trust God's word. Our faith is not aimless. Our faith is informed, informed by the word of God. And there are many times in our lives, even our daily lives, where we will encounter things that seem to be one way in the natural according to the flesh, according to our human understanding. But when we look at it and what the word has to say about it, the word says something different. Faith says, I trust God. I trust his word, even though I cannot see. I trust him. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. So there's Noah. God says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. They didn't know what an ark was. God provided the diagrams. Noah was building this for decades. He, did he see a flood? No. In fact, some have theorized that there was no rain back in those days, that the earth and the way it was back then, the atmospheric um, dynamic was a vapor canopy. I don't know whether that's true or not, but all of this that God was laying on Noah's lap were things he didn't have any experience in. Did he build a boat before? No. Did he know how to lead animals? No. It was all of faith. 
and he was moved. See what it says there in verse 7. He was moved with fear. He was moved with godly fear. Now, this is not fear as I'm afraid of God. Uh, God has a big stick and he's beating me into, you better do this boat or, or else. No. You see, the Greek word for this idea of godly fear means one who receives well, pious. And I mean piety in the good sense of the word. I like that. One who receives well. Listen. A godly reverence for God moves one to godly action. Let me say that again. A godly reverence of God moves one to godly action. Now, this Greek word here for godly fear in Hebrews 11.6 is related to the same Greek word we find in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, who, speaking of Jesus, says this, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, was heard because of his godly fear. There it is, one who receives well. A reverence of God that leads a, a, a reverence of God, a, a godliness that leads to godly action. And then at the end of verse 7, it says this, Noah became the heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Now, think of the word heir. Someone who is an heir is someone who inherits something, not because they worked really hard and they tried really hard and they struggled really hard. No. Someone is the recipient of an inheritance, not because they're necessarily good, but because the one who is giving the inheritance is acting out of goodness. And Noah was, he became the heir of the righteousness, not because of how good Noah was, but because of how good God is. Noah's faith looked not to his own goodness, but to God's goodness alone. And it says that he was the heir of righteousness. So what did he receive from God? Righteousness. Religion will focus on your righteousness. And that's why it's dead. Our righteousness is dead works. It means nothing to the Lord. In Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul said he was speaking of his life before knowing Christ. He was a very, uh, you know, he seemed to be an outwardly righteous man. He was a Pharisee. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee, part of a sect that was very strict in their observance of the law. And he wasn't just any old lay of the line Pharisee, if such a thing ever existed. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He was the son of a Pharisee. And when it came to his education, talk about a degree. He was of the school of Gamaliel. He was the cream of the religious crop. But when he was saved and he came into the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, he said, compared to knowing Jesus, all of that is like dung. Dung, useless. 
That's what our righteousness is in the nostrils of a holy God. Stinky. Not worth anything. Noah was an heir of God's righteousness. And my friend, we in Christ are heirs of the righteousness of God. Oh, this is so important. This is the heart of the gospel in Romans, which the book of Romans, which is the book about the gospel. The thesis statement in the book of Romans is Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that says this, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed by faith, uh, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's where we are right here in Hebrews chapter 11. The just shall live by faith. And it's a faith that is based not upon our righteousness and our goodness and our focusing on cleaning up our own life. No, it is a faithfulness that looks to the righteousness of God. Hey, we're in good company. Noah became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. That's the key, the righteousness of faith. Some other scriptures which touch on that, uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 13, Romans chapter 9, verse 30, and Romans chapter 10, verse 6. We're going to come into this subject of the righteousness of faith more as we look at the faith of Abraham. And I want to encourage you to uh, hang on for that because it's really powerful stuff. Well, let's speaking of Abraham, let's turn the corner a bit from Noah to the case of Abraham. And when we think of Abraham, we think of a man of faith. But I want to give you a little reality check here. We tend to get all, oh yes, Abraham, this great man of faith. You know what? Abraham messed up big time. Abraham not once, but twice, handed his beautiful wife, Sarah, over to a pagan king because he was afraid the king would kill him. Two different kings. And in the case of those kings, they almost got nailed by God. And then they found out that from Abraham that, that uh, this woman, Sarah, wasn't his sister. It was his wife. They were like, why would you do this to me? Why would you get me into such trouble with God? See, we need a reality check when it comes to these. And I had mentioned this before. Uh, we, we tend to think of these as the giants of the faith. They're not giants of the faith. What's giant is God, his goodness, his righteousness. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. And we're just going to get started in this, and then we'll continue in our next uh, podcast ep episode. But let's start right here. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. I want you to observe, when we talk about 
what faith in God accomplishes. And again, I have to be very careful in saying that because it's not faith which actually accomplishes. Let's change that a little bit. Let's say what God accomplishes through faith. That's more accurate. Let's look again at what God accomplishes through faith. In this case right here, you've got Abraham. Abraham uh, grew up in Ur of the Chaldees in what is now present-day Iraq. And he was grew up in a pagan family that worshipped the moon god of the Chaldee, of the Chaldees, uh, the Chaldeans. I don't know if he knew God or not, but the Lord showed up in his life and blessed him, the living God. Now we go from the false gods, small g, to the real living God. Abram, as he was known at that point, had a living encounter with the living God. And it changed his life. And God, right out the gate, is blessing him. Is it because Abram was such a great guy? No. It's because God is that good. And I want you to observe when we see Abraham hearing a call from God, the blessing God, calling him out of Ur of the Chaldees to a place he had never been before. He didn't even know where he was going. God just said, go. I want you to observe what God can accomplish through faith right here. And I'm going to point out radical obedience. Faith, or rather Abraham, obeyed by faith. His faith, his obedience was the result of his faith. That's what it says right here in verse 8. By faith. Abraham obeyed. Now, we get this all backwards. We tend to think, oh, we have to have obedience first before faith. But wait a minute. If I am doing something righteous like obedience, and I'm doing it without faith or before faith, then by definition, I am acting on my own righteousness. And let me raise this. This will be very provocative, but I'm going to say it anyway. That's just like Cain. Cain thought he could please God, so he came up with an offering of his own, of his own works, of his own self-righteousness, and expected God to receive it. That's ridiculous. That's why God did not look with favor on Cain's offering, but looked with favor on Abel's offering, because it was an offering of faith. And I want you to observe what God accomplishes through faith, by faith, is he produces radical obedience in people's lives. Abraham was doing something really radical. God was calling him out of the familiarity of what he grew up with. He brought his whole family, including his dad, Terah. He brought his nephew, Lot. And they went. Where to? I don't know. But God is leading us. He'll show us the way. You see, it was Abraham's faith. By faith, he obeyed. And I want you to remember that grace, we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, is the foundation of faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 16 says, It is of faith 
that it might be according to grace. So Abraham was enabled to radically obey God by grace through faith in Christ. Let me say that again. Abraham was enabled to radically obey God by grace through faith in Christ. You know, again, we tend to get this all backwards. We focus on obedience, 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 rather than focusing on the perfection and the completeness of Christ, that it is all by grace through faith in Christ. That produces obedience. We get the root, the fruit confused with the root. The root is Christ himself. He's the vine. We are the branches. The fruit is the obedience. And this is what James brings out. He was faulting people who claimed to have faith, but he's going, wait a minute. I I don't see obedience in your life. I, I don't see the fruit of faith. That's the whole argument of James. And there's a similar kind of argument, a little bit different, over in 1 John, where he says, you know, You say that you know God, but you don't love each other. People who know the Lord, the love of God overtakes their lives. Faith works. Faith works. And again, let's get all these things together. At the center is the living God himself. And the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfection and all that he has perfectly accomplished. Grace is the foundation of faith. It is a faith that it would be according to grace. And we, like Abraham, have a life of obedience, of reverence of God through faith, embracing the grace of God. Let me just again bring out James as a point of connecting obedience and faith. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. I've heard some people say, well, you got to work it to have faith. No, 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 no. No, no, no. That's all backwards. You need to have God to have faith. It's the God kind of faith. You need his word and you stand upon the word and you have your faith directed toward the Lord Jesus Christ and it produces It is truly the fruitful life. You know, wow, think about this. Look at what God's grace through faith in Christ does. We are enabled to live a radically obedient life to the Lord. And that's a wonderful thing. But we have to keep the sequence in order. First, God himself the Father, through Christ, by grace. So it's by grace, the heart of the Father, our Father God, through faith in Christ. That produces the fruitful life. That produces the radically obedient life to the Lord. And then it says, look at this this work of God's grace and faith in Christ in the case of Abraham accomplished in verse, verses 9 and 10, it says, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with 
Isaac, and Jacob. I can guarantee you they did not live in tents in Ur of the Chaldees. In fact, I would probably guess Abraham probably has some nice, had a nice place to live back there in Ur of the Chaldees. They ended up living in tents. And then it says, he, and together with Isaac and Jacob, those guys grew up in tents. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now I want you to notice in verse 9, faith is based on the promise of God. Not our promises to do better, but based on God's promises. And here's the reason of the, of the godly radical obedience of Abraham. The reason is in verse 10. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God's. Now I want you to think about this. A tent versus a city with foundations. In the one case, a tent is a temporary dwelling, right? In the other case, you and the foundations here spoken of is an eternal foundation. Abraham lived in the temp, in a temporary kind of situation in faith expecting the permanent eternal dwelling place living place with foundations built by God. You know this is similar to us right now in our journey in this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 beginning in verse 1, listen to this. It says, "For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven." If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Did you connect all the dots? This life that we're in right now, we are in bodies that are like tents. These are not our permanent dwelling. But I want to tell you something. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we are told these tents are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Just like in the time of Moses, they didn't have a temple. The Lord dwelled with his presence in tents. And so this tent is weak, we groan, and yet we have a holy calling even in this earthly tent, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that fantastic, the way God has designed things? And yet, like Abraham, dwelling in tents, we are looking forward to something so much better, a habitation which is from heaven. I'm not saying don't take care of your body, but you know what? This body is really not you. It's not me. 
And some of you that are listening to this podcast today, your body is, well, kind of betraying you. You're dealing with something that's difficult. You may be well advanced in years and there's not a whole lot more time left on earth. But you know, God has a permanent at-home dwelling for you. That is such good news. So we walk, we sojourn in this world, this temporary place by faith, not by sight. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see that? The things which we see, which we can perceive with our eyes, or we can hear with our ears, or touch, or we can taste or smell, they're all temporary. They will all pass away. But what we do not see, God is a spirit. We cannot see God. And so our faith looks into that which is not seen because that which is not seen is eternal. It's the greater reality. And that's why you have one situation where a person is walking by the flesh, walking according to the flesh. What that means is our flesh is our human senses, human understanding, and human ability. And these bodies that we have, one brother in the Lord referred to them as earth suits. That's a really good way of referring to it, are really sort of a interface with this world. But you see, God dwells in the unseen, not far away, but close, even in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, or what it says in 1 John, greater is he that's in you that than he that's in the world. God's not abandoned us in these tents. No, he is dwelling with us and in us. And so our look of faith, as we walk in victory, more than conquerors through him who loved us, yes, even in this world, yes, even in these bodily tents, is a walk of victory. And as you go through Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see it victory. God moving victoriously through his own people. Let's pray. Father, we realize that it is all of you, all of grace, that faith itself, which pleases you, is really faith that looks to you and rests upon the grace of God. Father, I thank you so much that it's all based not upon how good we are, how hard we try or how hard we strive. No, it's based upon one who is all perfect, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's based upon the perfection of his finished work. And I thank you, Father, that it is so. I thank you, Lord, that it is by faith that it would be according to grace. Lord, by your Spirit, continue just to bring deeper revelation of you by your Word. And Lord, as you continue to to show and unveil the glories of who you are, your grace, Lord, help us just to walk by faith, not by sight, 
trusting in a good God always and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.